Hey, welcome in to another week of the 573 report here on powermazoo.com. I am Gabe DeArmond. Briefly, because I hit the wrong button, Mitchell Forty was there on your screen. I then made him disappear. He will come back shortly. Uh, but before we do that, I want to make sure that you know about our sponsor on this show every Wednesday, 573Ts. You can find them in downtown Columbia. You can find them on the internet at 573teees.com. Doing a lot of NIL stuff with uh, Missouri athletes. Uh, they have have all your regular Mizzou gear. You can get uh, pretty much a different shirt for every uh, Mizzou event across the calendar if you want to do that. Um, I, your wife might be a little upset that you don't have any any money left for food, but hey, we encourage you to do it. We'd much rather have you support our sponsors than feed your families, if we're being honest. So uh, if you are fortunate enough to be able to do both, do both. But uh, if you have a choice between dinner and 573Ts, go to 573Ts. That's my uh, sales pitch for the week. We will now bring Mitchell in and do want to invite you guys. If you've got comments, questions, whatever, put them uh, in that comment section. We let them build up. We'll talk about what we want to talk about for the first little bit, and then we'll talk about what you guys want to talk about. Um, so, Mitch, the last four basketball games are a win over a top 15 team, a loss where the other team would not have had to score in the second half, um, a loss in which the other team almost didn't score in the first half, and then it's 25-point wins. So we know exactly what to expect out of this team every time they take the floor. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, college basketball as a whole like is it's unpredictable by nature, but it, it does feel like Missouri is taking it to some extremes this year. You know, they, they lost their first four road games by an average of 32.3 points and then won by 25. So, I mean, yeah, try to make sense of that. Yeah. And I, I mean, you can't, it's why we've been saying for two months, you have to let the season play out because you don't know what's going to happen any given day. I mean, do I think this team's going 12 and three the rest of the way? No, three and 12 is probably more likely, but that's not a, a foregone conclusion either. We have to see what happens. So since we did this last, I guess the Arkansas game was last Wednesday night. Um, so we'll spend about as much effort on that one as it appeared Missouri did. I mean, man, I, I, Arkansas, that was like the Tennessee football game. Arkansas could have won by 70 if it wanted to. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's just interesting. I, I, I really think that, Missouri, especially on the road, has a deal this year where, like, if they if they land the first punch, they might still lose. But if they don't, then they can just – it can go south so fast. And I don't know what the cause for that is. You know, maybe it goes back to not really having a true point guard, someone who can kind of get the team, you know, settled down and dictate the tempo. I don't know if it's just – you know, I, I don't know what it has to do with. But we've seen it several times where, like, you know, they're down, you know, 9, 11, 12, or in this case 15 points before the first media timeout, and it is just over. I mean – you know, and then you get games where they're down 20 at half where they're losing by, you know, 30, 40 points. Um, but then last night and and Saturday, too, they, they started off great. And Saturday, they, they couldn't kind of, you know, put together the full the full performance kind of wilted down the stretch. I was impressed that they at least they, they made some clear progress on that front last night. You know, Ole Miss hit that three to cut it to 10 just out of the, the under eight timeout. And you started to go, I don't know. And then Mizzou he closed the door very quickly with a 15 out run. So. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to say that, like, this team is going to, you know, achieve anything of, of great magnitude this season or that Conzo Martin's going to save his job. Like, we'll just wait and see. I, you know, I'm not even going to I'm not going to say I have any idea what to expect Saturday. So 
um, yeah, we'll take it one game at a time. Yeah, well, and last Saturday was – I was disappointed. I thought there was a chance for a minute we were going to see the first shutout in college basketball history, or at least <laughs> since they were playing with peach baskets, because A&M just didn't appear to want to score at all. But even while that was happening, we were all kind of talking like, Missouri's not really ahead by that much. Like, that didn't have a lot to do with Missouri being really good. It was just A&M was so bad for nine minutes and then one, And then – uh, so the storyline out of the, the game against Ole Miss, really to me, other than Amari Davis just figuring out – it's <laughs> it's weird to me that a guy who is so good from 17 feet is not at all good from 20 feet, but whatever. He's figured out what he can do, and he's he did it to perfection, literally, uh, on, on Tuesday night in Oxford, 10 for 10 from the field, 3 for 3 from the line, whether – it depends on which Missouri record is correct, the one they have online or the one they said, but he either made the most or the second most shots without a miss in the history of Missouri basketball, which is very good either way. But the the story out of that game to me, they took seven threes. I went through every single box score back to 2013 and could not find a game in which they took fewer. They took eight. Um, I know Dave Matter, I talked to him this morning, he said, it's the fourth time in the last 20 years they haven't taken 10. So he went back even further than I did. Um, but we spent about 12 games asking Conzo, like, yo, we don't think this team's very good at shooting, right? And he said, no, they're they're good. They just keep shooting and they're going to go in. And then I think it was before the Alabama game, he said, all right, we've, we've told some guys they need to stop shooting, right? So – I mean, whether you want to admit it or not, and yes, maybe it should have happened sooner, whatever, but the adjustment was clearly made because in the last two games, they've taken the fewest three-pointers in each game that they have ever taken under him as the head coach. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I can understand how it's frustrating for on one hand to be like, well, really, it took you that long to figure it out. But on the other, you know, at least an adjustment was made and it, it the offense looks better. I mean, it, it kind of has for a while now when they're not shooting a lot of threes and it's not just not shooting threes. It's not settling for threes like you can get some looks off of kickouts and stuff like that. If Kobe Brown's doubled or someone drives and dishes out. But, you know, we've seen times this year where it's just like the offense is just either someone, you know, they pass it around the perimeter, no one really moves, they shoot a three, or someone tries to drive one-on-one, -on -one, nothing's there, they kick it out for a, a contested three. Like, even in the second half against Utah, you know, in that game against Alabama, in these past two games, it's, it's looked a lot better when they haven't shot as many threes. And, and the weird thing, and, you know, Jimmy Dykes pointed this out on the broadcast last night, but I know it's something that, that we had mentioned before, is like, Mizzou should be worse against a zone because zones typically force you to shoot over them. But Mizzou, like when other teams play zone, they just figure it out. They're just like, oh, yeah, we should not shoot from back here. We should just like go inside into these open areas. I don't know why they can't figure that out against man. Maybe last night was like some key and they'll start doing it. But yeah, it's like and part of it, too. I do think Ole Miss way overextended its zone. Like there were times where maybe they're trying to, you know, pressure guys and generate some turnovers like Arkansas did. But like you don't need to be guarding guys, twenty these guys 25 feet from the basket. I promise they're not going to score from there. But like it, it just it just unlocks something for Missouri and once they got it going they really got it going and yeah I mean Amari Davis just really what he should he should just do that all the time I I suggest just not missing that's a good strategy yeah it's helpful um yeah not only can Missouri not shoot they don't really have a point guard but they're really good against his own for some reason but I so you mentioned it there so the adjust this is sports right hey what we're doing isn't working we're going to make an adjustment and then the next step is the other team's going to adjust to that adjustment well Missouri has made the adjustment Okay, we're going to take like nine threes, not 29. Um, smart move. 
Now, if you are a team on Missouri's schedule, clearly what you do going into the game, and this is going to sound like an exaggeration, but to me it really isn't. I would tell my guys, you play defense with one foot in the paint. You never defend anything with both feet outside the paint. If they want to stand at the three-point line and shoot, let them do it because it's been proven even if they are wide open, they're not going to make more than like three out of every ten. So just stay in the paint. Don't give up the drive. Don't give up the offensive rebound. We are going to put five guys right here around the lane and force them to beat us shooting jump shots. That's coming, right? I mean, they're they're about to face Nate Oates, I think, is a good coach. Bruce Pearl is a good coach. TJ Otzelberger appears to be a good coach. I can't imagine that any of those coaches are going to spend much time telling their guys, you really need to get out and guard this team at the three-point line. Yeah, and especially Alabama that has just seen Missouri and, and you know, honestly got its defense, you know, pretty much torched by Missouri a couple weeks ago. I would imagine they'll have a different plan coming in. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I think yours is a slight oversimplification, you know, because Missouri Don't accuse me of guys that. who can hit from, like, the baseline and the, the elbow and the mid-range areas. But, yes, I mean, like, there's no reason to, you know, extend out onto the, you know, deep out onto the perimeter or, you know, worry too much about helping off of shooters. I mean, you need to have two guys around Kobe Brown at all times. You need to have someone in, you know, in and around the, the paint area who can help uh, off drivers and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely it's other teams are going to continue to adjust. And frankly, I mean, Mizzou has shown that, you know, for, from the bulk of the season, it is not like that. What we saw last night is not typical. Like, I mean, yes, maybe they could, you know, they found something they could keep it up, but probably it was just a good game. I mean, it's their best shooting performance since 2017. I don't think they're likely to replicate that. Yeah. And, and, a bad night against an, or for an Ole Miss team that was missing some guys. And, uh, the next part of the schedule, not a lot of fun. I, I have a feeling Alabama will be ready for Missouri on Saturday. Um, Auburn brings the number one team and potentially the number one draft pick into Columbia. Um, I would like to know how in, how excited Jabari Smith is to see Red Panda. I feel like that's going to be the big storyline of that game. Uh, and then they go up to Hilton Coliseum and and face uh, Iowa State, coach one of the, the better turnaround stories in the country, coached by a guy that Desiree Reed francois hired at UNLV just a couple years ago. So... Could be a rough stretch coming up. Um, I don't really know what the schedule is after that, but I, I think over the next week and a half, like if you could find a way to get one, that would be a hell of an effort. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, they'll be significant underdogs in all those games. I mean, basically, at this point, like, you know, and I get why it happens, but I just feel like the swing is, is kind of funny where it's like, you know, they, they get destroyed by Arkansas. And understandably so. I understand why people were upset from that game. I'm not I'm not trying to say that it deserved people to be measured because it was atrocious. But like you know, every, everything is just like, oh, it's got to be gone. He needs to be gone tomorrow. And in fact, people wanted to believe it when it was reported that he was gone tomorrow. And then today you just see it all. Well, if they were just had this one piece and this one piece and I can see it I will be right back in here by you know in, in like 10 days or whenever after these next three games I'm sure to everything is terrible and unfixable etc cetera, etc cetera. like there's just going to continue to be ebbs and flows yeah and so we'll be back in two months and we'll talk about whatever has happened at that point um speaking of things happening um probably there have been like three Missouri related football stories since we started this show 12 minutes ago because that's the way the last few weeks have gone and we'll get to the specifics but I think like we've had a lot of talk about, hey, the transfer portal or NIL or what's breaking college football and all that. And this isn't breaking college football. And I want to be clear. I don't feel bad for the coaches because the coaches are the ones that devise this calendar and they make billions of dollars. 
But something's got to get fixed here where, I mean, from a simple standpoint of if you work around college football, and I'm talking coaches, I'm talking support staff, I'm talking you cover it, whatever, like there need to be a couple hours where you can just be like, okay, well, nothing's going to happen here, right? We have compacted everything into this period, but also it's just because of the recruiting calendar, it's all year. I don't know when coaches are supposed to take three days off and, and see their kids and stuff because every day is either a new transfer or a coach leaves or this happens. There's got to be a better way than what we're doing here these last couple weeks. Yeah, for sure. I, I saw that uh, Eli Drink was tweeted on Sunday night that he was at the Chiefs game, and I was honestly like, oh, wow, that's kind of risky. I mean, like, what if someone wants to commit? Because that's always happening these days. <laughs> it also, though, was like, oh, I guess I can relax and understand that maybe that's not going to happen hey, well, next year. I, and sure I, now. I can um, promise, having been in Arrowhead Stadium, if somebody tried to commit, Eli Drinkwitz would not know. He was not right. getting a text message there. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is crazy. Um, and, and it's, you know, extra so this year and and we said this last year too it's just like the covid year added so much on to you know there's just more people with eligibility so there's more people transferring and then you've got you know all this stuff is new um i, I do think the market will continue to correct itself a little bit as you know players use up that one-time transfer and there's fewer players for the same number of spots but yeah it's it's crazy i, I mean i think the biggest thing is just the calendar um you know we went right from you know the the at the end of the season like while games were still being played having the early signing period to you know the postseason to then you know it's immediately like now on to the 2023 class before but the 2022 class still isn't finished you got transfers going on but like you know last friday the the visit period opened up so they got to start showing the 2023 guys that their priorities like it yeah i like you said i don't i'm not going to feel bad for anyone who's making a ton of money but like for some of these assistant coaches that's rough well, and and I had uh, I had somebody in my mailbag ask this morning, when do the 2024 rankings come out? And I'm doing this show on a backup computer because I threw my laptop into the snow at that point. Uh, the vest, what's left of it, I don't know. Eventually, I can't think about 2024. We'll get to some of the the individual players and and uh, talk about some of the actual specifics about this here in a couple minutes. And again, if you've got questions or, or things you want to talk about, feel free to to put them in the comment section there. And We'll get to it, but kind of big picture. I think Missouri took eight transfers last year. If my memory serves right, it was somewhere around that number. They're at six right now. I anticipate that getting to eight because I still think they're going to seven right now. Okay, uh, then then I think they'll get to nine um, because I think they're going to take a tight end and a linebacker. But like, not only are things going to slow down because, like you said, the eligibility and all that. At some point. Your program, and I'm not talking about like next year, still has to be based on the guys you're recruiting, the four-year players here. If you are in the portal for eight and nine guys, and I understand fully why Eli Drinkwitz has been the last two years. This is not a criticism. But in 2024, if he's going in and trying to fill nine spots in the portal, because when you're bringing transfers in, you're not bringing them in to sit. You're bringing them into play. If you've got that many holes on your team heading into year five, that means your recruiting hasn't been good enough. So I think just naturally across the country, especially at places where there aren't coaching changes, you are going to see a little bit of a, well, hey, we've been here three or four years. Like, we feel pretty good about some of the guys we have. We just don't have as many spots we need to feel, fill. Right, yeah. And, and yes, I, I I think, and Eli Drinkwitz kind of talked about that. He outlined that strategy when he talked to us in December saying, like, 
transfer guys are are for are to replace guys who already left. They're, it's not like we need X number of people in this recruiting class and we're going to use transfers to take some of those because then you you know your class balance gets totally out of whack. And yeah, you, I mean the foundation of a team is still high school recruiting, and the teams that are doing that the best year over year are the teams that are winning the national championships. And I can understand the allure of the transfer portal, and especially for fans, it's like ooh, like I don't want to wait for this kid to get good. Like I just want to go get like someone who's already done it and be like Michigan State or Kentucky, but those are definitely the exceptions. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I I, I agree. I'm not going to say that it's bad that they took uh, seven transfers in this class. And I think they, they might even get to 10 because I think they're going to take a linebacker, a tight end. And then, like, I wouldn't be surprised if it's like, you know, best available. Someone someone comes open in like the late spring, early summer or something like that. I mean, they've taken guys like that each of the last two years. So, yeah, um, but I, I definitely think that if you're taking that many, say, two years from now, that's that's probably not a good thing. And so let's talk about some of these guys individually. First, you were talking about the eligibility. We have to start with Mitch. What were you doing in June of 2015? Uh, I was, I was a student at Mizzou. I was, well, I was not enrolled in classes over the summer, but I think that summer I was in Columbia, like working at swim camps and swimming. Okay. Yeah. My kids at that point were, my oldest son had just graduated from high school. He is now in the middle of his second year of a full-time job. Um, my youngest son was 12. He is a freshman in college. Tyrone Hopper was a North Carolina football commitment who now is a Missouri commitment entering his seventh year of college football. And this is incredible. And I love it. it, it like we're going to do a story at some point about the NFL players that are older than Tyrone Hopper. <laughs> like I, I read the other, I, I think I read this morning that Lamar Jackson might be 24 years old. And I think Tyrone Hopper is 24 years old. Like, they might be the same age. Yeah, that's fairly remarkable. Yeah, I just want to talk to him about, like, yeah, you know, how, just how old are you and how weird is that? And, like, is it, is it strange to be with 18-year-olds on the same team? So, <laughs> on, yeah, on the road crazy. games, he's going to be hanging out with us. He's like, oh, I can't keep up with my teammates. Where are you guys going to dinner tonight? Probably true. Probably true. Yeah, no, I mean, it's 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 crazy. It's, you know, one of those things that you only could have gotten here because of the the COVID deal. I, I did see someone post that on our board today that there is an eighth year player in college football. So uh, he's not, he's not, I was going to say he has to be like tied for the record of longest college career ever, but uh, alas, not the case, but still, yeah. Um, I, I as for what to expect from him on the field. I honestly, I don't know because he's, he's missed so much time due to injury. It looks like, you know, Mizzou wants him as a defensive end, not a linebacker. I would imagine he's more of a depth piece, but you, again, like you said, you don't bring in a transfer just to sit on the bench. Like I would imagine they think he can at least help out in the regular rotation. Yeah. Jake B says that Nysir Brooks who played for Ole Miss last night is 25, which is incredible. I don't know how that happened, but, um, he, he did three Mormon missions before enrolling at Ole Miss. Apparently, <laughs> um, the other, one of the more recent transfers, uh, Nate Pete from Stanford, I did a radio interview and I've seen a lot of people saying, well, obviously he's not the starting running back. Well, why not? He's right. done more in college than anybody Missouri has on the roster. So, Elijah Young did not play last year, basically, until Missouri didn't have another choice. Um, Michael Cox, we kept hearing about how, well, we were going to play him, and then something happened, and we just didn't play him. And then, you know, B.J. Harris had one game with, like, 14 carries, but other than that, he was clearly behind Cox and Dawson Downing. Taj Butts didn't get on the field. Tavoris Jones, highly rated, but he's going to be a true freshman. 
Why wouldn't Nate Pete think he he is is in line to be Missouri's starting running back? He's done more in college than anybody else on this roster has. Right, absolutely. Yeah, three years at Stanford. And yeah, I mean, like if you made me right now, you said you can only pick one guy to lead Mizzou in carries this year, I would probably pick Nate Pete because like you said, I mean, it just makes the most sense between all the options as far as his uh, as, as his resume. I, I still think it makes the most sense that Mizzou is going to end up just kind of rotating three or four guys. And, and obviously, you know, one of them will probably play a little bit more than others. But that's not the way Eli Drinkwitz has operated. So I think it's kind of hard for people to wrap their heads around. It. And it also means I could be way off on that. And I just don't see like the, you know, the 25 carry a guy person on this roster. Um, but who knows? Uh, I, regardless, I think it's it's very safe to say that Nate Pete is going to be heavily involved. And, and I can also safely say, having talked to some people, Nate Pete did not leave Stanford to carry the ball less. Um, mm. he, he, I mean, the reason he left Stanford was that he wanted somewhere where he felt like he could get more touches. Um, so I, I don't want to say he's been promised that because I really don't think coaches do that. I don't think right. coaches say, we guarantee you're going to start here. But I think he knows he's going into spring football as the number as the guy who has the best chance to start, you know, and, and somebody's going to have to come beat him out. Um, the other transfer um, – I don't know, Dylan Spencer just kind of back out of out of nowhere, you know. Um, I I don't know. Let's uh, I don't know, man. Greg Taylor's coming back. Nate Strong's coming back. Just uh, just get the whole band back together. Yeah, he's back. I, that came out of nowhere. Um, yeah, for those who don't remember, he was a 2020 uh, signee and actually played in two games as a true freshman. Started one of them. Uh, which shows you the state that Missouri's offensive line was in. Um, he got in a fight at Florida, got suspended, and then promptly transferred, uh, which, like, I don't think was a disciplinary thing. Like, I think Mizzou wanted to keep him around. I do know that there was some talk about him being a little homesick at the time. Um, he's from Mississippi. He transferred back to Jackson State, didn't play at all there, entered the transfer portal again in September, which, I mean, if I knew about it at the time, I completely forgot about. And then just yesterday, pops up enrolled at Mizzou. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's back. So he was involved in that Dan Mullen brawl at Florida? Uh, yeah, he was one of the ones who got like a game suspension or something like that. Okay, so he transferred, Markel Lutze transferred, Trey Williams transferred, Dan Mullen yeah. fired. I, one of these days we'll do an oral history of the halftime brawl in the swamp and how everyone lost their jobs because of it. But, uh, um, okay, uh I mean, I think those are the three new transfers. So want to hit up. Uh, we've got we've got a few questions over here, so we'll get to them. I'm just going in order of, of when they were asked, so we will get to yours. Eventually, Michael wants to know, did Mizzou lose the portal or is Mizzou happy with their roster? And before we get into that, I want to say I saw um, Justin Rowland from our Kentucky site tweeted this morning. He said that, you know, people are already grading the portal and deciding who did well and who did poorly Dari Rosenthal transferred to Kentucky in May last year. Like, there is, there's going to be a whole nother wave of kids that think they're going to win jobs in spring football that for one reason or another don't win jobs in spring football and then enter the transfer portal in like April or May and find a home somewhere in the summer. So, well, I guess they have to by May 1st, but they will declare by May 1st. They won't necessarily find a new home, but... We aren't done with this. This is like giving a final grade after midterms. Yeah, for sure. No, I, I think it's, and, and I understand, like, especially for Missouri fans, this is just kind of what's going on right now. I think people, you know, people are kind of bored with basketball. They, they want to just, you know, react to all of the comings and goings in the portal. But yeah, it's early on. 
um, in, in the process. Like, you know, people are freaking out about the tight end position. And like, yeah, Mizzou might end up with no good tight ends, but we don't know yet that because they're, they're going to get someone. Um, so, yeah, a couple things. One, it's not done yet. Two, even if Mizzou was unhappy with its roster, no one is going to say that. Like, they're not going to say like, yeah, no, we really struck out in the portal this year. We're probably going to win three games. I think they feel they must feel at least decent about it. Um, so, yeah, I, I you know. I know I know why there's a little bit of angst about it, you know, that, that Mizzou didn't measure up to like a Kentucky who you mentioned in the portal last year. So, you know, a few of the guys maybe didn't make as instant of an impact as people hoped. Um, and then losing Mikhail Winko hurts some. But if you just look at, at this year, um, you know, this this transfer cycle, like I, I would say it's probably a net positive. Obviously, losing Mikhail Winko is a bummer, but you bring in a guy who, you know, could be just about as good a defensive tackle, a guy who played quite a bit for a really good defense last year. You got a guy from Clemson at safety who I think has a chance to start. We mentioned Nate Pete already. Um, so, I mean, clearly they like Ben's Polgar enough that, you know, he seems like there's a good chance he's going to start at center. Um, so, I, I mean, like, I don't know that necessarily all of them wow you. Um, there's there's definitely, you know, some guys who are a little bit of a head scratcher. But overall, uh, I, I'm I, at this point, I'm just going to wait and see what happens on the field. I know that's not a good Internet take. <laughs> right. Uh, kind of along those lines, and you mentioned it, Kyle said, any concern there haven't been linebacker transfer or tight end transfer commits. It seemed like those are the two biggest needs. And. I don't know that concern is the right word because, like you said, they're going they're going to take somebody probably at those positions. However, I do think it is a fair criticism that they offered some tight ends and they offered a lot of linebackers, and those guys have ended up other places. So that doesn't mean they won't get a good one. It doesn't mean that they won't get one that actually ends up being better than the guys they offered. But they have missed a lot of their top targets, especially at linebacker and tight end. They really only missed, they missed kind of one and a half because TJ Banks wanted to commit and they said, hang on. And then by the time that uh, Jake Tonjes, you know, declared for the NFL draft, it was too late to go back to TJ Banks and say, no, we want you. So they missed there, but linebacker, I mean, there was a run of like six or seven straight guys where it was like it was almost like they were waiting for a Missouri offer to then say where they were going and it was not Missouri. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not I'm not trying to argue that the staff is getting, you know, 100% its top choices at all these spots and like it's absolutely cleaning up. But I also just think that, you know, we'll we'll wait and see before before declaring that the portal that, you know, it's been a failure or anything like that. Um okay, back to basketball and hypotheticals are our favorite. So I want oh, to course. I want to say first, assuming these jobs become available, we do not know at this point if Missouri's job is going to be in this pool, but we're answering your hypothetical question because we said we would, or hypothetical, I don't know um, what how that relates to just being regular-thetical, but uh, Jason says, rank these jobs if they all come open, Mizzou, Georgia, Ole Miss, and South Carolina. Is there any way Missouri's not the best job on that list? I mean, no, I can't really think of one. I mean, Mizzou's recent history has been perhaps the worst, if not you know, just as bad as, as the worst of those. I don't know. George has never done really much of anything. But, you know, I mean, you still have some advantages you don't at all the other places. For one, at all those other places, 100% guaranteed the fo football is going to be the king. And football is going to be second. 
Right. And football's a little bit more of a priority here, but yeah, I mean, you have more of a basketball following. Um, and, and I mean, other than that, like, you know, you're in the same league, you're talking about probably similar, you know, resources. I know Mizzou's facilities are considered pretty nice. I've never seen anyone else's basketball facilities, so I can't tell you for sure. But like, yeah, I've, I have no reason to certainly think Mizzou would be below any of those. Yeah, Ole Miss has a, a nice new building. And I would say on this list, they probably care the second most about basketball, but they've never been as good as Missouri has really. Um, South Carolina went to a final four, but like, you know, they weren't even selling out then Georgia, Georgia isn't going to know there's a basketball game for a minimum of two more years. I mean, yeah. there's still like people laying on the side of the highway hung over from celebrating the, the football national title in Georgia. So they're right. not going to notice that. Uh, yeah. Ty Tyler Wynn wants to know, have you heard anything that led Conzo to finally reigning in the three-point shooting? I mean, I Mitch, common sense would tell me it was that he saw the same team playing we did and finally just admitted, yo, my guys need to be closer to the basket because they can't make it from that far away. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the, the fact that entering last night they were 355th out of 358 Division One teams in three-point shooting. So... Yeah, I think it's just as simple as uh, watching and adapting. Okay, oh, now we're getting into my second favorite thing. Beyond hypothetical coaching openings, it's uh, Twitter tweets here. Uh, Magic Man says, I read a tweet where Wingo's mom said that the city of Columbia let her son down. Maybe she's referring to that he didn't get part of NIL. Look, I, I'm just going to plead the fifth. I didn't see the tweet. The only tweet I have seen from Makai Wingo's mom said something along the lines of there's people out there saying things about me that aren't true and stop it. So I'm not going to speculate about a tweet I didn't see about a situation I don't know. Um, but like it wouldn't be impossible to see players on this team thinking, hey, maybe, maybe could I get some of those deals that say an incoming freshman who hasn't yet played a game is getting yeah no I mean that was always going to be one of the dangers of NIL and it was something people rightly brought up you know as an issue is the locker room thing that said I, I don't think that I never thought it was maybe you know enough to stop it I mean it's the same as it is in every workforce in America where everyone gets different amounts of attention and money etc cetera, etc cetera. but yeah I also have no reason to actually I, I mean like I don't know if that's what she was talking about it would be pure speculation i mean i know that a lot of people when he entered the portal were immediately like oh highest bidder he got a new a better deal well he went to go play with this high school coach so i i really don't know that nil was that big of a factor there yeah it wasn't a big shock where he went one and kyle will come back to your other question but this is kind of along the same lines Michael says with Wingo's coach at LSU, how much will that affect St. Louis recruiting? I mean, I saw that Steeple, that uh, LSU offered um, Christian Gray, a DeSmet kid who obviously I don't know if he would have played for Robert or not, but that's where Robert used to work. He certainly has a relationship with Wingo. Uh, that could be a factor. I don't think Missouri's getting Christian Gray, regardless of whether LSU does, to be quite honest. I mean, I don't know. It's a factor, but like. Do I think all of a sudden that LSU is going to turn into this this place that just walks in and gets anybody out of St. Louis at once? Not really. And as far as the second part of the question, I know Mitch really has some thoughts and wants to address why St. Louis has so much negativity toward Mizzou. I know that's really in your wheelhouse. So uh, Yeah, well, I mean, for the first part, like I – 
yes, you know, you'll probably see LSU get involved a little bit more in recruiting St. Louis, but I don't think, I think it's going to be, you know, there's always kids where they're going to get national type offers and those same kids might now get LSU offers. And it's just one more school out of a long list that you're going to have to beat. And if Mizzou was going to beat, you know, the likes of, you know, Alabama and Ohio State and Clemson and whoever else for that kid, they could probably beat Steeples and LSU. And if they weren't, they're not. But I, I LSU, I mean, they, they recruit on a national level. They're not going to suddenly start offering 10 kids a year from St. Louis. And also uh, so the, the, the negativity towards Mizzou, I, I, I mean, uh, it seems to me like Mizzou's recruiting pretty well in St. Louis over the past few years. Like they're never going to get everyone. So, well, and, and also if, if you're Brian Kelly and you're, saying, I want to hire a high school coach that's going to give me access to a city with tons of talent. No disrespect, you're not hiring a dude from St. Louis. You're going to hire a dude from L.A. or Miami or Dallas or Atlanta. I mean, St. Louis has some good talent and more than it used to. But, like, nobody is confusing St. Louis with one of the top 10 produce, high school football player producing cities in the country. If you just want a guy that, like, hey, he can bring me a bunch of players, go go hire St. John Bosco's coach or, or you know, somebody out of Miami Northwestern, something like that. Uh, yeah. We'll wrap it up with uh, – because I wanted to save this one because I think it there's a number of ways we could go with it. Um, Kyle says, if JT Daniels does enter the portal, I saw he was going to, I don't know if he has or hasn't or what, but would that be the type of QB who would make sense if Drink isn't happy with the current guys? Let's leave the end of that off as far as not being happy with the current guys. Because if he wasn't happy with the current guys, I think he would have pursued some quarterback more heavily than he has. JT Daniels, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It's hard. It's hard without being like a, a real QB scout. Because, like I would no, think Drinkwitz would know better than me. It's the type of quarterback that like we said all along, like, OK, that's the only time only way we could see it. Right. Is a guy who's like, ah, he's clearly an upgrade. You kind of can't say no. Uh, I don't honestly I don't know how many years of eligibility JT Daniels has left. That's a factor. If it's just one, then then that makes even more sense because, you you know, you're probably not rushing Sam Horn out the door or anything like that. Endangering you know, he, he can he can probably be OK with with being a backup for a year. But, yeah, I mean, it's got to be someone of that caliber if you're going to you know bring in a transfer because you're probably going to see Tyler Macon and Brady Cook leave. That said, I mean, like, it, it really comes down to the Mizzou staff's evaluation of him. They've coached against him. They know quarterbacks better than me. If they think he's as good as his high school rating was and he just needs to stay healthy to unlock that, then sure. If they think, you know, he's kind of a bust, then I don't know if it's worth it. And it is worth pointing out that since that high school rating, he lost the job at USC to Keaton Slovis, who then transferred, and then all year long, couldn't beat out Stetson Bennett, who Georgia fans insisted was going to be the one thing that held them back from winning a national title, which obviously didn't happen. And and I don't mean to use that to like downgrade Stetson Bennett because it was a great story and he won a national title. So he flipped the double bird to everybody and then got drunk and went on uh, the Today Show like two hours later. So good for him. But um, I, I mean, it would not. If they're going to take a quarterback, yes, that's the kind of situation that makes some sense. But I'm not sold necessarily that they would go after JT Daniels if he were to enter the portal. I, I It's possible. Um, but I don't think it's a no-brainer. Because again, with the portal, like I think people are treating this so much like Monopoly money. These are still people. 
your your roster, your locker room is still made up of kids that you have to get all in the same page, and you can't just every year be bringing in kids to replace. You know, I mean, if your message is, well, you need to stay here and fight it out, well, then quit going and grabbing a kid for one year to replace a kid who has been here for two years trying to fight it out, right? So I, that's where the, the whole coach message about the portal rings hollow. Well, back in my day, you know, we, we stuck around and we didn't leave it the first sign of adversity. Well, you sure aren't turning down kids who are leaving other schools, right? So it, it's a little bit hypocritical there. I I would have to say, if if somebody made me guess, I would say Missouri probably wouldn't really go after JT Daniels, but it's nothing but a guess. Right. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm saying like if they if they do decide to, I'm certainly it would make sense to me. I would understand why if they think he's good enough. But I also yeah, I, uh, I, I, I yeah, if you made me guess, I would say they're not going to end up pursuing him or any other quarterback in this cycle. OK, so that was going to be the last thing. But there's one more. And this has to be on the sh- like no more. I won't acknowledge any more questions after this. I don't care how many you ask, because this is the only way we can end this show. So thank you, Jonah, for popping in to say that Antar Thompson is the eligibility king. I saw on Twitter that he's looking for a grad year. He graduated high school in 2013. There's no possible way Antar Thompson can still have college football eligibility left, is there? I mean, I think he ended, he finished up at Mizzou with a year still left, and he hasn't played anywhere else. Uh, I don't know about the clock thing, you know, the the number of years to play a number of years, I don't know, but... uh, I guess theoretically, maybe he he is actually the same age as me. By the way, like we we are the same age. So I, I will that say, would be rough. Wow. like I always say, I don't care where kids go to school. I am totally breaking that rule here. If Missouri is not immediately on the phone to offer Antar Thompson his final year at the University of Missouri, I will be extremely upset. This is a story that has to happen. Graduate, graduate transfer. Dr. Antar Thompson playing at the University of Missouri in 2022. Yeah, at age 27. Amazing. <laughs> All right, well, Mitch, uh, we'll uh, we'll send you off to get on Twitter and hunt down Antar and find out when he is enrolling at the University of Missouri. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, man. Uh, appreciate Mitch hanging out with us. Uh, appreciate all you guys. A lot of questions. Uh, good day. Kind of plenty of stuff has happened over the last week. We hope we caught you up on most of it. Who knows what happened here over the last 40 minutes while we were yapping and uh, hopefully passing your lunch hour here on this Wednesday. Want to remind you once again, 573 Tease brings this thing to you every single week. If Antar Thompson somehow ends up back in Missouri, I can promise you because I will pay for it myself, that 573Ts will need to get like an Antar Thompson old man football shirt out to the masses. Um, so you you heard it here first, guys. We're campaigning. Antar Thompson, graduate year 2022 at the University of Missouri. We're all pulling for it. Um, it, it needs to happen. So uh, get ready. Go to 573Ts. Find your gear. Get some other stuff first, but await the Antar Thompson shirt. We're all hoping it happens. Uh, Thanks for hanging out. We'll be back next Wednesday. Plenty of stuff going to happen between now and then. We'll keep you up to date on all of it on the site, powermazoo.com. Every now and then we tweet. You know where to follow us. So thanks for hanging out, and we'll talk to you later.